We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. Tonight we're doing a Big Blue Banter live on YouTube. First one we've done in a long time. These are going to hopefully be a regular occurrence during the regular season. I'm looking for the link now so I can send this out and you guys can join us on YouTube. But our plan tonight is to talk a little bit about our expectations for the season, given what we saw during the preseason, during training camp, positive momentum there from the Giants, and in general, just some things that we feel like we learned or, you know, have come into from watching the Giants this preseason and during training camp, in addition to just projecting forward what they might do. So I'm going to give people a few minutes to kind of join us here and jump into it, Nick, but where do you want to kind of launch off here while I send this tweet out? I think we could probably start just by talking about the explosive nature, or at least the potential explosive nature of this offense. It's something we talked about all throughout last season. Giants were dead last in explosive plays. Add Darren Waller, add Jalen Hyatt, bring back Saquon Barkley, bring back Daniel Jones, upgraded offensive line, hopefully. And now we're starting to see the true potential of Jalen Hyatt. And I think that's one of the uh, things you and I probably even underestimated a little bit when the Giants drafted him out of Tennessee in the third round, they traded up to get him. We liked Jalen Hyatt. We didn't necessarily view him as a first round talent, just a lot of question marks. I think he has disproven the fact that he can't run routes. He might still struggle with some physicality, but even in those small clips we saw, those little plays that we saw against Sauce Gardner, you saw the true acceleration and explosiveness. You're talking about a top 99th percentile type of explosive athlete at the wide receiver position. And I think that's just something that's going to excite the New York Giant fan base, especially since they don't have to force this kid to play because they have a deep rotation in the wide receiver room. I completely agree with you, Nick. As I mentioned last night when we were discussing Giants uh, on last night's podcast, I just feel like the expectation that I have for Jalen Hyatt has really risen from start of training camp until now. And a lot of the reason is those traits that you discussed, that ability to kind of sink those hips and then explode out of it, looking as smooth as everyone has seen him. But also, I think somebody described it on my uh, Twitter page, Nick, today in one of the replies as like a video. It's almost like a video game glitch watching him kind of get in and out of his breaks. I think that's a good way to describe it. He just has natural fluidity natural explosion. And remember, it's like not just the 40 yard dash. This is an athlete who tested elite 
in the broad jump, elite in the vertical jump. Those are the explosive drills. And you can see it on this route against Sauce. You give him that kind of space, sinks his hips, and then look at that. That's what I want to focus on, that end bit there where he creates that three, four, five steps at the end. Sauce is step for step with him, but he loses ground because Hyatt almost gets faster getting out of his break. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> Maybe that's part of his route there, and that's the way he does it. Maybe he uses that to deceive defenders. And like I said last night, this is going to help the Giants so much on double moves. I mean, this guy's going to get open often on double moves. But the point being, Nick, they're a much more explosive offense with Jalen Hyatt in the game. And if they're a much more explosive offense with Jalen High in the game, it stands to reason they can be a much more explosive offense production-wise, right? Like, it's in theory they're a more explosive offense with Jalen High in the game. But last year, as you've gone over previous times on this pod, Nick, the Giants were almost dead last in explosive pass plays. If not, were they dead last or they were second to last? One of the They two. were dead last. Yeah. Dead last in explosive pass plays. So, in theory, he adds to those. But in reality, if you get him on the field, you can actually produce those plays. And then we could be talking about a different offense. And everyone discusses, Nick, how the schedule is a lot harder. And that's why expectations are so down for the Giants outside of Giants land. Because obviously not you know, focusing on how we feel about it or people inside the bubble. And the Giants are seven and a half point or seven and a half over under wins this year, which is crazy. Like my dad and I were discussing this today. I played tennis with my pops and he's like, I can't believe the Giants are just a seven and a half win loss total. It's crazy to him. And I get it. And I think the schedule is playing a factor there. But if they're a much better team, like they've kind of shown already, they could potentially be. It's not really going to matter as much. And it will even itself out as far as the more difficult schedule in my mind. Just need to win some of those division games. I mean, I think we're going to find out a lot about this team on prime time. Historically, the Giants have not been that great in prime time football. You get to open against the Dallas Cowboys in your home building, so you're not going to Jerry World week one. And I just, I, I really hope the Giants can seize that opportunity and win and just open up the eyes to the NFL. Like, hey, the Giants are back. And I think a lot of national media is starting to come around on the New York Giants and really buying into what Mike Kafka can do as a coordinator and also what Brian Dable can do as a head coach. And hopefully the the production will follow suit and we'll see Daniel Jones take that step in terms of statistics and throwing the football. Because last year we easily definitely saw glimpses of Daniel Jones putting the team on his back. We talk about the Green Bay game. Saquon Barkley goes out. He leaves a 95-yard touchdown drive. How many times last year did we see Daniel Jones third and 12, third and 15, pocket collapses. He found a way to use his athletic ability to extend drives and extend plays. I think we can see that now just enhanced with the presence of Darren Waller, who's going to occupy a ton of eyeballs in terms of the defense. And then Jalen Hyatt, who can take the top off of a lot of these defensive uh, structures. One of the plays that we saw so much last year, I don't even exactly know what it's called, but it's it's basically two receivers on the outside, outside the numbers, and they're going to do exactly what Jalen Hyatt did, only Jalen Hyatt was used in motion on, on the play against Sauce Garner, but they run about 10 yards down the field, they stutter like they're going to stop, and then they explode out, and then the Giants usually take two guys who are blocking, and they just release them into the flat for checkdowns. It's usually typically ran out of a seven-man protection to start, but it's an attempt to create an explosive play, and Darius Slayton there were a couple opportunities against Washington and Dallas where he hit and Daniel Jones was able to get him the football. With Jalen Hyatt, though, it's going to be completely different because one mishap, one misstep by a cornerback, they're toast. And I love Darius Slayton, and Darius Slayton is a very explosive player. He, he doesn't even come close to the explosive nature that Jalen Hyatt has already in his arsenal as a rookie. I completely agree. I feel like on film, Slayton may test similarly to Hyatt from a deep speed standpoint, but it just looks different on tape. And remember, game speed is a totally different thing than the shorts and shells combine type of testing speed. It just every year we see athletes who are just much faster on tape with actual pads on. And, you know, that's why I like the GPS tracking, which the Giants have done 
at times, you know, I think they do it all day in practice. I think Hyatt hit like 24 miles per hour during one practice, which was crazy to see. That's like Saquon Barkley at his peak type of level, uh, speed, maybe even faster. And one thing to think about when it comes to Hyatt coming into this, Nick, we probably thought in our minds, at least this is a third round pick has a little bit of rawness to his game. There are still times where I think if he's on the field, this regular season, Nick, things are going to happen that the giants coaches are probably not thrilled about like the route that, um, JT O'Sullivan broke down that the play that to Waller where Waller comes across. I'm sure the coaches see what JT O'Sullivan saw, which is that, you know, Jalen Hyatt got his post route pressed way too far inside and he was pushed all the way off the route into the, into the logo as JT O'Sullivan said. And that's not how you want to run the post route because what happens when that happens, you go inside the safety, the safety can come around and lay that huge hit on Waller. Otherwise safety has to carry Hyatt. If he runs that post well and he wins the route off the line of scrimmage. And now you have an open vacancy in the middle of the field, but, those things I think will come with time, but the real reality situation is Nick back in the day, as recently as like three years ago. And I remember talking about this a bunch on fantasy football today, the fantasy podcast I'm on. It was typically your, this is probably like a decade ago, Nick. It was typically wide receivers break out in year three. That was the year for breakouts for wide receivers. Then it became wide receivers break out in year two. And now we're starting to see wide receivers breaking out in year one. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, the list goes on and on of these players. Even Amon Ross St. Brown during the last six games of his rookie season. Like the learning curve is so much less steep now for these wide receivers in my mind based on the results. That's how I know this is true. The proof is in the results. And that gives me a different expectation for Hyatt than I might have had five or 10 years ago. Where do you stand on that? And with the trend of the NFL, I think that checks out too, because a lot of those receivers you just listed, they're a little bit more undersized. Now, I'm on Ross St. Brown. I think he has a good density to him and he's a strong wide receiver. But Chris Alave and Garrett Wilson, some of the biggest knocks for them coming out of Ohio State was that they were light. I think one of them was in like the 170s or maybe like the early 180s. It doesn't seem like that's a factor anymore because A, the defense can't be as physical as like they used to be, and B, the offenses are much more progressive and they know how to scheme free releases and get the guys on the move as we saw against Sauce Gardner on that one play. And you're going to see stacks. When do you ever see the Giants offense run plays where they just break the huddle and if it's not tempo and nobody motions? There's always someone moving to give Daniel Jones an indicator of what the defense is doing, but they're also setting up their route train, just forcing the defense into a position where it's like, if you got match principles going on, good luck switching. You better be really on point in terms of your communication. You could scheme people open by doing that. It's something Kafka did all throughout the last I would say half of the season really started to pick apart defenses. Some of those defenses were were terrible. Like, let's be honest, the Minnesota Vikings defense was trash last year. But I expect that to carry into this year. And I think the Giants just added so many weapons that are going to benefit from that. Because we talk about Hyatt and Darren Waller. I think Paris Campbell is perfect for that. Who's somebody who can have a low A dot, but he just get him the football into his hands. He can create explosive plays because of his yak ability. I think Wando Robinson falls into that. But also those two players can be deep threats if you need them to be. It's just interchangeable pieces this offense has assembled. I really like that you brought up the Olave example, Nick, because if you look at Olave's build, it's not that dissimilar to Jalen Hyatt. And Olave was able to have a really incredible rookie season despite playing with Andy Dalton. No offense to Dalton, who had pretty good accuracy and on-target percentage numbers, but wasn't throwing the ball down the field. And Olave had a ton of unrealized air yards during his rookie season. But to get those air yards, those unrealized air yards, you have to be winning those routes early enough to get downfield. Or, like you said, you have to be schemed up free releases. And that's becoming more common in the NFL. You mentioned it last year. We saw it down the stretch with those switch releases in the Minnesota game when we saw Richie James catch one down the sideline, Isaiah Hodgins catch one down the sideline. 
Now you can manufacture those for Jalen Hyatt. And you're talking about if you get him the ball on that switch release, like he's not going out of bounds. He's taking that to the house. And now it's a touchdown. And now the whole game is flipped on its head there. It's on a 30, 40 yard play, which we'd be happy enough with. But I just think the Alave example is interesting because back in the day, some people might look at him in his frame and be like, this is the type of guy that needs seasoning. This is the type of guy that needs to add muscle to his frame. And he's not going to be able to be more than a gadget guy until a little bit later in his career. And through his route running and through his ability to accelerate in and out of his break, something we've said, Jalen Hyatt's shown good signs of already as a rookie in the preseason and training camp. He was able to be impactful right away. So I think that's a good point by you. Got a question here from DK. Are you guys concerned with the running game? DK, we haven't seen Saquon Barkley in the preseason. We've only seen a handful of snaps with the offensive line. As of right now, I am not. And one of the reasons why I'm not concerned about the rushing attack is because of all the weapons the Giants added in terms of the passing arsenal, because I think the defense is going to have to account for Darren Waller and Jalen Hyatt's speed, which is going to lead to lighter boxes for Saquon Barkley. So I'm not concerned right now of the, of the rushing attack. Doesn't mean the Giants going to come out and lead the league in rushing like they did last year, but they absolutely have an opportunity to because you have a top three running back in Saquon Barkley and a top three rushing quarterback in Daniel Jones. Yeah, great question, Dekit. And thank you for a shout out, Dekit. You're always on our page. You're always checking out our videos and you're always yeah. supporting us. So I really appreciate that. I'm sure you are one of the, I'm going to start calling it like the like crew, the people who hit like on every video. Because if you're watching, please like. hit like. I won't give another spiel for another two minutes about how important it is, how much it helps us. But if you hit like and subscribe tonight, it's going to help us grow. Simple put as that, but simply as put as that. But back to your question, the reason why I'm also sharing Nick's opinion of no concern really here is that I've seen enough on tape from Mike Kafka and I guess Brian Dable as well. And I think Bobby Johnson, because I know Mike Kafka has talked about crediting him in this regard, that they have so much diversity within their run game. And these coaching staffs are so willing to put new things into the game plan on a week by week basis in the run game that I don't really have concern. I think it's going to be so well designed schematically that the blocking here or there may, you know, they may be able to kind of mask some deficiencies. In addition to a lot of what we saw this preseason, as far as bad run blocking was from guys that aren't for quite frankly, going to play in the regular season, right? Like Evan Neal played a few snaps in the preseason. Andrew Thomas played a few snaps in the preseason. There was a lot of the interior offensive line for sure, but there wasn't a lot of Daniel Bellinger. Who's one of the giants best blockers as well. He got to play a few snaps at most. Think about him not being on the field as well and how that could have impacted their run game. So between the scheme that Kafka has shown week to week, the differences we've seen in addition to us, just not really having the best blockers on the field because it's preseason. I don't have any concerns there yet, but I will say this. There was that stretch last season, Nick, where the Giants bottomed out and averaged like 3.3 yards uh, a carry with Barkley over like a four-game stretch in the middle of the season. And it does make you think about kind of if they could fall back into that low. Because to me, and I know you agree with me on this, the best run games, the ones that are consistent, have nothing, not nothing, but have less to do with the running back and more to do with the offensive line and the blocking. And so that's not quite there yet for the Giants. I don't think a consistent scheme like the Niners have in the run game, like a few other teams that come to mind, the Eagles, obviously. But as far as the the, the week-to-week game planning that Kath can do, in addition to having a freak like Saquon Barkley back there, it leaves me pretty confident that they'll be okay there. A lot of those struggles, too, came when they were running out of 12 personnel, which generally means that you can run the football better if you're blocking tight ends. But teams like Washington were just loading the box, being like, we're going to account for those extra gaps because you have no receivers who can beat you. And that's one of the reasons why I think Isaiah Hodgins was so important, because he was just getting his feet wet with the New York Giants at that time. And then he grew into a role where the Giants can operate a more spread type of approach, even West Coast concepts out of 11 personnel, because they actually had the receivers to do so. And that also coincided with 
Wanda Robinson getting hurt. So Wanda Robinson didn't even get hurt. I think that passing attack could have been even more potent. One more, um, I had, I had another point I wanted to make about the, the rushing attack, but it slipped my mind and maybe we'll go on to this question by Connor Barrett. Biggest concern for week one versus Dallas specifically. And I want to give my, my concern right now. And I have confidence in both of these two players, Dan, but we have two rookie cornerbacks. We're more than likely going to play the majority of the snaps. And I think Dak Prescott, I'm not a big believer in Mike McCarthy, but I think Dak Prescott is a, is a, is a good quarterback and he gets shit on a lot. I still think he's a really good quarterback. I think CD Lamb's one of the best receivers in the league. And I think Brendan cooks is going to have something as well. So if I had to list one concern, I think it's that it's not that I don't think they can rise their self to the occasion. I absolutely think they can, but we haven't seen it yet. And there it's going to be bright lights, Sunday night football, the entire world watching. So I would say that's probably my concern that, and I'll let you give yours, but offensive line is always going to be one as well. And especially with Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence on the other side. Yeah, I think, first of all, great question. And you nailed my biggest concern, Nick, at the end there. It still has to be Evan Neal out on an island or Evan Neal at any point because the last time we saw Evan Neal against the Cowboys or the first time we saw him was an absolute disaster. He talked about how much that humbled him, how it was the first time really in his life he struggled like that. Like he never had that in high school, in college at Bama. Until he got to the NFL, he never had a game that bad. And he even discussed that. And so it's not that I don't trust that he's made those strides because he did look a little bit smoother and a little bit better in preseason in the few snaps. It's just that I want to see it. And I know that these dudes, Demarcus Lawrence on a fully fresh, healthy season and Micah uh, offseason and Micah, Micah Parsons also coming off a fully fresh, healthy offseason are going to have a lot of juice for this specific game. And it's going to be probably one of his most difficult matchups, I think, of the entire season as far as just week one, everyone's healthy. And that also plays a factor there too so i do have concerns with those corners too because like you said nick and i think this goes for anyone who watches film Dak prescott's a much better quarterback for the people who watch tape than the people who don't watch the tape the people who just watch the broadcast think he's this but the people who watch the tape see the high level of processing and that's really where he stands out he's one of the best post-snap processors in the game he sees the field post-snap better than most quarterbacks he gets the ball out on time and into space but Lately, at least over the last few years, he's also been throwing more interceptions than he's ever thrown. And that could be, you know, an issue of offensive line continuity that he hasn't had, wide receivers getting hurt. But that's also an area where the Giants could potentially take advantage and make a game-changing interception in this game. So one, uh, first, I want to circle back to the D-Kit point from before. The diversified rushing approach as well is something that makes me very confident in the Giants' ability to run the football. We saw in this Jet game, they were running trap blocks with Shane Lemieux, the third-team offense. It was awesome. And you have the linemen climbing up to the second level, just eliminating the linebackers, just the blocking wasn't that crisp up front. I think the Giants, it's just diversified, so you're going to keep the defense guessing the entire time. Now, I want to propound something to you, Dan. C.D. Lamb. Do you think the Giants shadow him with the Dory Jackson in week one? Because he aligns a lot in the slot. And if you're confident enough in Trey Hawkins and Deontay Banks to play on the outside, do you just put a Dory Jackson on CD Lamb and allow Dak Prescott to go to his rookie tight end, Brendan Cooks, and Michael Gallup, who is a little bit underwhelming last year as he was recovering from the injury? That could be something that Wink Martindale looks to do. I'd have to think back, Nick, for a second on how the Giants played the Cowboys in those two games last year. I know you probably have maybe have a better memory of this. I feel like it wasn't the same way they played Justin Jefferson in that second Minnesota game. So I don't know if he'll get that exact type of treatment. And I think it's obviously easier to kind of roll coverage to a guy playing on the outside than someone in the slot. That's a little bit more of a difficult task. But as far as shadowing him as with Adore Jackson following him, something like that, I think they pretty much like have to, right? Because the other option is, at least according to, you know, at the time of this live, Darnay Holmes, who still is on the roster for now, 
Cordell Flott, who did not look good in my opinion in the preseason. And so otherwise you're putting a shaky corner at best on their best weapon. And remember from the Mike McCarthy system, Nick, I was just thinking about from like Ben McAdoo days, which is pretty similar to what Mike McCarthy runs. It's an offshoot yeah. of that system. A lot of it is just 11 personnel, two outside guys on the boundary, and then a slot stack like perfectly in the middle of the, the tight end and the, and the outside receiver. Very similar structure on every play. And it's all about, and this is why it worked for a while with Aaron Rodgers, it's all about just winning one-on-one matchups. That's the whole system. And so if you're going to be facing that kind of offense, I want the one-on-one matchups to be in the Giants' favor as most they can. And Adoree Jackson versus CeeDee Lamb is probably the best matchup the Giants have for slowing him down. And I'm sure the Cowboys will find a way to scheme C.D. Lamb against the two rookies. I mean, that's what any good offensive coordinator would do. And I am a little worried, specifically with Trey Hawkins, because he is a six-round pick. And if you're on Sunday night football and and the lights are really bright and you you give up a couple big plays to C.D. Lamb, I I think they're mentally tough enough to overcome that. But that's a tough spot to be in. But this coaching staff really believes in this kid. He didn't play at all in this game. He didn't play at all in preseason week three against the Jets. He sat. Same with Deontay Banks. He's a he's going to see a lot of snaps. Seeing a lot of CD Lamb is something that I mean, Darnay Holmes has struggled with over the last several seasons. So that that's my primary concern, though. To circle back to the original question, is just how how CD yeah. Lamb is going to be handled by the New York Giants. And you know, Wink Martindale is going to dial up pressure too. So there's going to be one on one and cover zero and things like that where wow. those rookie cornerbacks are going to be tested. And trust me, Dak Prescott knows that there are two rookie cornerbacks out there. You're right. And it's crazy. Just like, you know, we start off with Dallas at home on Sunday night football. It's just wild to me how much this game means. We don't want to overinflate it. It's not a playoff game, but think of the difference in feel in momentum in everything. The Giants had last year, finally winning that week one game that they escaped them for years against Tennessee. Now you add all that to the pot. Plus the fact that this is a division game and it's a home division game. You know, that means a lot more. They don't want to lose division games, one. They don't want to lose home division games, two, because they're much tougher to win on the road. And I think a successful Giants season means they're splitting with Dallas and sweeping Washington. Because unfortunately, I think, I mean, the, the, where they are, they might have a chance to beat Philly if Philly's that good that they're so far ahead in their resting starters again. So I don't want to totally rule those out. But a healthy Philly versus a healthy Giants, I don't think they fully closed the gap yet. And I think they're probably going to have a tough time beating them at home or away. But if they can split with Dallas, and sweep Washington, which I think is well within the realm of possibility, as well as how it played in the preseason. I'll wait to see if that carries over to the regular season when there's actual game planning and scheming. That has to be done. And so it's like, do you want to lose this first game to Dallas and have to win in Dallas? No, you don't want to put yourself in that position, obviously. So it's a very meaningful game. Those are the two factors for me, too. I I mentioned, Neil, but the corners are just as big of a concern for sure. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is Dan Schneier, the Big Blue Banter Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. And now Blue Wire currently has 300 shows with athletes, celebrities, passionate fans like myself. I found Blue Wire right around the time when I started the Big Blue Banter Podcast. When I started Big Blue Banter in 2018, I had an idea for a show, a name for a show, and then I had to figure out how to monetize that show and grow that show. That's when I found Blue Wire. Kevin Jones put everything on the line for this company and then found us and this show a way to monetize the content with strategy sessions, provided us new segments, connect us with podcasters, and even gave us an opportunity to record in the Win Vegas studio. Blue Wire has now raised over $10 million privately to grow and operate the business. And they're raising another round right now now on WeFunder to expand the sales team and improve the operations. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It gives everyone an opportunity to be a part of the growing startup. This is not a donation. You're investing to own a piece of BlueWire. If you would like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round, or you want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com slash BlueWire. And remember, supporting BlueWire is another way to support our show and this podcast. Nick, you ever been in the spot where you just felt like, I've got a few hours to go. I'm going to this game. I'm buying tickets. I don't have the tickets yet. You're stressing. The anxiety is at an all-time high. You're trying to figure out what the heck you can do to get to this game. That happened to me a few years ago when the Wisconsin Badgers made the Sweet 16 game in the Madison Square Garden. My dad, diehard Badgers fan, the reason I went to Wisconsin, the reason I am a Badgers fan, I needed to get him tickets for that game. It was his birthday. So I'm stressing. I don't know what to do. And then, boom, I figure it out. I use the GameTime app. The GameTime app is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and anything near you. They got killer deals, last-minute tickets. You click open the app, and you're shocked to see that you can actually go to these games, having a good time, and not actually have to pay so much money that it breaks your bank account. Stanley Cup Final Week 1 this past season. I used the Game Time app last second. It was actually past the time of puck drop. Went on the app. I was in Vegas. Saw the Vegas Golden Knights defeat the Florida Panthers. And I also used the Game Time app to buy my entire family when they came out here to Phoenix to visit me to see Tom Segura's special, which is actually the same special Netflix used for their videotapings. And I love it because you can find so much on the app. Like you get an actual image of the seat view. Not like you're buying a seat with an obstructed view. It's an actual image. You know what you're getting. 
lowest prices that I've seen by far, and that's their guarantee. You get an event cancellation protection, job loss protection. They go all out here to make sure that this is a great experience for the user. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code BANTER. That's B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code BANTER. B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. I love this question from Enzo Baldanza, I believe is how you say it. What role do you see Dane Belton playing early in the season, in the box, deep half? Enzo, I think it's going to be all of that. I think he's going to be a pivotal part of the big dime and the quarter package. And he'll also work his way into nickel, depending on, I think, situation, matchups, and things of that nature. I think Dane Belton, he's one player on defense that – we're starting to discuss a little bit more, but I would not be shocked if he leads this team in interceptions as a player who is not a starter, just because he has a keen sense of spatial awareness, specifically in zone coverage. And I think he has the athletic ability to man up on tight ends if you need him to, although I don't think he's going to be the guy to remove TJ Hawkinson, or at least he hasn't shown that in his professional career yet. But I think Dane Belton is important to this defense. We know Wink Martindale wants to run lighter personnel, get speed out there on the football field to combat the opposing offense because everything is about speed these days. And I think Dane Belton factors into that for sure. I agree with you, Nick. And I think that, Belton, obviously, I mentioned this like three months ago. I've mentioned a bunch of soft season. He's one of my favorite sleepers for the season to make an impact, like you said, to maybe do something crazy, like lead the Giants in interceptions. He was in the right place at the right time in the preseason. He was in for an interception. Last season, he came very close to three or four interceptions. And I think it's telling, Nick, that the Giants barely used him this preseason, really kept him under wraps, and really made sure that there was no chance of getting him injured. Because of how much, how often did we see Wink Martindale use extra safeties on the field last year? He loves it. That's his thing, right? Like he maybe he considers Simmons one of those guys this year. I don't know what he kind of will consider him ultimately, but regardless, he's going to get a lot of safeties on the field. It's not just going to be a traditional defense with Pinnock and McKinney. There's going to be a lot of belt in. There may be other guys. McLeod may play a little bit of safety this year, different spots. So because of how often compared to some coordinators, Wink does use extra safeties. I do think Belton has an opportunity to be a lot bigger and uh, bigger contributor this year than people are expecting. Definitely one of my favorite sleepers as far as where they're going to use him. I think you nailed it, Nick all around, but I love, I love to see him schemed up in some types of robber roles and roles where he can kind of jump into that middle area of the field and conceal himself, hide himself in the deep half, then kind of break on the football. Cause I think that's when he's at his best. And I also think one of the primary ways Wink Martindale when it is third and long and, and passing situations, uses those safeties in an exotic manner, puts them up on the line of scrimmage. Hey, I'm blitzing. There's seven guys. Oh, am I coming? And then he drops them to depth. Sometimes he drops them to middle of the field close. Sometimes he drops them just to middle hook. But I think Dean Belton has such a, a comprehensive understanding on where the routes are coming from and how to bait quarterbacks and where to be when he is dropping off the line of scrimmage. We saw that role executed by Julian Love last year. I think Dane Belton might slide into that along with Jason Pinnock. Jason Pinnock, we haven't necessarily seen that same awareness in zone when it comes to coming away with turnovers like we saw in college with, with Dane Belton when he was at Iowa. But the athletic ability suggests that he can also execute that. We saw it in preseason with Javarius Owens. And that's just hard to account for if you're an offense. You have no idea what these safeties are doing. It's one of the reasons why we love this Isaiah Simmons acquisition so much, not just because he's a top 10 talent three years ago with the Giants got for a seventh round pick, but it's, yeah, he's going to rush the passer a lot. He's going to be a nuisance and he's going to be a mismatch against running backs as we saw yes in yesterday's game, but he's 
also fluid enough to drop into space. I, I have issues with his overall zone awareness, but that was when he was a full-time just linebacker. Put him out there on right. third down and have him do a bunch of different things and just give him that portion of the meal. And then you have him consume that. And then hopefully he can develop a little bit more. But again, when it terms in terms of Isaiah Simmons, I don't necessarily see him being an early downs guy. His tape at Arizona in terms of run defense was a little bit problematic, but damn dude, he's going to be such a fun player for this defense on this passing situations. Yeah, he is. He's going to be one of the best athletes they have on the field. No, regardless, he, you know, you can make the case and it's a good case that he doesn't have the physicality. He doesn't have the instincts to maybe play that full-time linebacker role, but regardless when he's on the field, he's going to be one of the best athletes the giants have on the field every single time. Yeah. We had a quick or a question from Mark Thompson thinking Simmons will have a toned down Micah Parsons type of role in year one. What do you think? Look, Micah Parsons is one of the best, so I'm not going to compare Simmons to that, but in terms of the role itself, I think Parsons is more expanded, but an athletic, really lean, quick, explosive guy who can rush the passer. Yes, that's what I think Isaiah Simmons will be for the Giants. And I think we saw just glimpses of that. And we can go over the play here in a bit, even though we already posted that in the YouTube. So it might be a little bit redundant, but we saw glimpses of it, though, uh, yesterday. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's where it starts for the Giants this year with Simmons. And that may not be where it ends, but that's exactly where it starts. And hopefully through that, he can become a better pass rusher by A, having more reps at it than he had with the Cardinals, and B, having a coordinator like Wink Martindale to scheme up e easy one-on-one -on -one matchups for him. Exactly, man. I mean, you look, I got the play up right here. We bring it up. It's just... Everything about this play is beautiful because you get one-on-one -on -one matchups for Timon Fox and Isaiah Simmons just by occupying four blockers in the middle with two rushers dropping seven into coverage. Look, you have four blockers, one, two, three, four on Rakeem Nunez Rochez and O'Shane Zimenez who aren't penetrating. They're just acting as basically glorified quarterback spies and occupiers of those four blockers. This guy has no one to block. And then you have one-on-one -on -one matchups with non-traditional blockers there with Michael Carter against Isaiah Simmons and Timon Fox against, I think that's CJ Uzama, but I'm not sure. This is what Wink does all the time. He wastes blockers and he puts talented players into positions of success. And we see this with Isaiah Simmons. He could drop into coverage there. He also did that on his last play uh, in yesterday's game. But we're going to see this with Kayvon Thibodeau and Azuzo Jolari, now with Isaiah Simmons also in the fold, and Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams. We saw it last year, and that's one of the reasons why it was so fun, because how many times, Dan, going through the film, did we see Dexter Lawrence going up against like a Sam Mustafer or just some poor center who was forced to block him in a one-on-one -on -one situation because of the alignment? So much of this is dictated by the pre-snap alignment, and that's all coaching. And that is all Wink Martindale. Yep, you nailed it. It's just so beautiful to watch the Giants be able to get pressure within the first two seconds of a snap on an obvious passing down, despite only rushing four against seven-man protection. That's how you win in the NFL, right? You have what? seven guys dropping into or yeah seven guys dropping into coverage there against what what's left four guys running routes that's a win for the it should be a win for the defense every time and that's seven guys they had to keep in protection because of the way those those defenders released into the line of scrimmage they only rushed four yeah. the mathematical advantage is 100 on the giant side I, I just love seeing it. it's just smart football right there awesome to see and that's how you do it when you when you line those guys up on the line of scrimmage it makes it really difficult for these opposing offensive lines to figure out where the pressure is coming and by the way nick that's from that's against aaron Rodgers, who's a veteran who knows how to set protections who knows how to figure out where it's coming from now when you start to do that stuff against like sam howell for example who has very few nfl starts under his belt 
I have a good feeling that these Sam Howell games are going to be really good for the Giants defense. Really good. I know people are hyped on him. He did look good in the preseason. I get it. I always thought he was insanely underdrafted in the fifth round. That was one of the dumbest things the NFL let happen. Just because he had one bad season at UNC. The dude had real NFL arm talent, which half the quarterbacks going on day three don't have, or 90% don't have. I could move in the pocket. Like He's a good prospect overall, potentially, or a decent prospect. But like as far as what he's seen at the NFL level, Nick, Wink Martindale's defense are going to rock him. Dan, do you want to jump into some of the potential cuts? Because we received news today of a bunch of players who were waived and also released. And one of them was Colin Johnson, who Brian Dable acknowledged because a reporter on the beat asked it about him. We had Colin Johnson, who I believe was, was he waived? Yeah, he was waived. Ke- uh, defensive tackle Kevin Atkins waived. DB Darren Evans waived. Nose tackle Donovan Jeter waved, running back James Robinson waved, and then released was to Sean Bauer, Brandon Bryant, Corey Cunningham, no surprise, Julian Davenport, who was somehow even worse than Corey Cunningham. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but it was rough watching through that film. And then wide receiver Jane Mickens with, unfortunately, Bryce Ford Wheaton finding himself on the IR with a torn ACL. I hate to see that. Dude, yeah. yesterday's on yesterday's show, I didn't pick Bryce Ford Wheaton to make team, specifically because I knee injury, but we didn't know it was a torn ACL. Thinking right. about the gunner situation, and the fact that the Giants allocated like over 200,000 guaranteed dollars to this undrafted free agent, he might have made this roster if he had yeah. some production in this game just because of his special teams value. 100%. He was going to make the roster because he was going to be their best gunner out of this group. And it's a disappointing. It's unfortunate. Obviously, when I made my prediction last night, it was before the news. So I had him on there. But that's how fast it changes. As, as far as what you said outside of that, Nick, I don't think there's any surprises yet. There's definitely some names I'm happy to see that I didn't see today, for example. I'm happy I did not see Javarius Owens on there. I want him to make the roster. And a few, a few, and I don't think he will be cut, but obviously we'll see. We don't know. But I will say this as far as the Davenport thing goes. I remember when he was signed by the Giants, you're like, yeah, this guy has some starts at the NFL level, but his tape is god-awful. And like it played out exactly as we should expect it, have expected to. And it just gives us a good idea that we're just not finding backup tackles right now. That's it. Don't expect it in the waiver wire. They might get an interior guy if they're lucky. A center, I would think, is basically the only way to go. But you're just not going to get a tackle. And I know they you know, traded for Bredesen a couple of years ago. That worked out. The Tyree Phillips thing was amazing, um, obviously. But even Tyree Phillips, man, we are high on him, Nick, but it was a very small sample size for last year, right? Yeah. Like if he had to start every game last season, we may have have a different opinion on if he's capable of playing that position. So I do wonder still what's going to happen at offensive tackle behind the big two. There's so many players who might make this initial 53 who aren't going to be there on week one. Like Matt Parrott might right. be one of those players. Amani Oruwariye might be one of those players who, if he does make this team, I don't expect him to be there. The Giants are going to add a well, they're going to look to add players on the waiver wire. They're again, I brought this up on the last podcast, but they're deep now. I think they're like 26 or something might be off there, but right. they're around that area in terms of their waiver priority. Whereas they used to be like fifth because they sucked. So it's a good thing that they're picking that far down. But uh, yeah, I, I think the giants are going to look to get rid of some of those guys who might initially make the team, but there are players like Darnay Holmes or is Darnay Holmes going to make the team? He's going to get that Darius Slayton treatment because he's $2.7 million. I think I still think he's a talented player. I think he can add utility to Wink Martindale's defense. I think they like him, but I don't think he makes his team if that's his cost. True. That's fair. And that's, you know, that's been the big discussion for us this entire offseason, like how much that price tag will play in his final chance. I just feel like I just keep coming back to the idea, Nick, that like based on how, I guess, I don't want to say disappointing, but at least for me, disappointing Cordell Flott's preseason was, I expected him to take a big jump in year two. 
you almost, in my mind, need to keep him because you need to keep Holmes because it's like uh, there's at least you can lean on. He's done it before within the system at an NFL level in real games. Especially if you want to run big dime quarter, which we know Wink Martindale yeah, does. Yeah. One of the primary things that you need if you're going to run those lighter personnel packages is defensive backs who can hit and defensive backs who are sure tacklers who know how to execute their run fits. That's Darnay Holmes. That was Julian Love. That's Trey Hawkins from what we've seen. He is excellent in that regard. And a lot of the safeties on the Giants are all good tacklers. But even a Dory Jackson, I never thought of a Dory Jackson when he was coming out of USC as somebody who was as physical and as adept in terms of coming down and sticking running backs on the edge. Like he showed us last year. He showed us and proved to us. And you and I went over the film and we were like, damn, Dory Jackson is really good against the run. And Darnay Holmes is as well as that apex defender, that guy over the slot. And that could be one instance of him making this roster or one reason why he actually does stick around. But again, I think that money is is uh, going to be a big point of contention with the New York Giants. Yeah, and before we move on to the next question, I just want to give a shout out to a lot of the people who I see now. I'm looking at the YouTube page in the chat. A lot of people who have supported our show. Some of you have supported it from the very start. Some of you have supported over the last year, but I see you guys a lot either on Twitter or in the comments. And I really do appreciate you guys helping this page grow. D kit, uh, Jay Farries, Mark Simmons, who's always in here. Um, Mark Thompson, who I've seen a lot and I've discussed with a lot of giant stuff on Twitter, even you, AJ Kareem, even though sometimes we go at it because you think I'm a DJ hater, which is absurd to me in my mind, but I still love you despite that. Dougie Analytics, I even saw making an appearance. Uh, NYG Mason, who's a mainstay on Giants Twitter and a lot of the spaces. So shout out to you guys. I really do appreciate you guys helping support the show. Yeah, thank you guys so much. It's excellent being able to talk New York Giants football. And we're uh, happy that you guys are uh, listening and enjoying our content. And shout out Jordan Kovacs, by the way, who just donated $5 to us and just oh. sent us $5. I really appreciate that. Jordan Kovacs, one of my best friends in life. Uh, that's the dude, Nick, who I went down to watch the Stanley Cup with diehard Florida Panthers fan. Likes that team as much as we like the Giants. So basically, Ooh. if we were a Florida Panthers podcast, he would not miss a single episode. Jordan, if you have a question, please put it down and we will answer it. If it's about hockey, that's cool, too. I unfortunately saw the uh, <laughs> your team get beat game one against Vegas, but, you know, they Scored the first goal, I think. <laughs> so there was something there. Shout out D Kid who just sent us $20. Holy shit. Thank wow. you, man. I really appreciate it. You guys don't have to do this, but I do really appreciate it. And Nick does as well. And more importantly, just being here with us live on the show and supporting us. It's awesome to see. So thank you so much. Um, let's get back to some questions here now, Nick. All if right. So any. anybody want to send some questions in here? What's the ceiling for oh, this Sal giant? Ah, oh, Sal. Love Sal. Got a question from Matthew Tram here. I might be pronouncing that wrong, and I apologize if I am. What's the ceiling for this Giants team? Look, I think the ceiling is very high, and I don't believe we're hyperbolic on this podcast. But I think if 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 Daniel Jones continues the trajectory upward, now again, development's not always linear like that. But if he continues that trajectory and is able to take advantage of all the weapons the Giants had with this coaching staff. And it's huge that the Giants were able to retain this coaching staff. That's something that we we can't discuss enough. Mike Kafka staying here. I think the, the ceiling is very high. And I think all you got to do, and the, any fan base knows it's the New York Giants, get hot in the playoffs, you get hot at the right time. My thing is, though, the AFC is very stacked, but the Giants have an easier road in the NFC. I think teams like the Eagles are, are just better than the New York Giants from a talent standpoint. The 49ers are a very good team as well. 
but I still think the ceiling is high. I'm not going to sit here and say the Giants going to win the Super Bowl or anything like that, but they're at least a team that if they were to get there, or if you are a pundit and you're like, who is the surprise team? I think the Giants have worked themselves into that surprise team category, whereas last year, <laughs> no one thought that. I'm with you, Nick. I'm a lot higher on their prospects now than I was maybe going into this training camp preseason time because I just feel like things are meshing a lot faster. I think the reason to be excited is this. You look at last year, year one of this regime, the Giants stole a, a playoff win on the road. It's very hard to win on the road. And let me say this because I've been at that stadium for the past Giants-Vikings game where it was against um, back in like 2016, I think it was. Paul Perkins was on the team and he had like a huge screen for 68 oh, yards. Yeah. That is one of the loudest stadiums I've ever been in in any sport. And the dome plays a role, but those fans get loud. It is very difficult to win a road game. The Giants put up 30-plus on the road, got to a divisional game. And in the NFC, Nick, outside of the Eagles and the 49ers, I don't think there's any team right now that's head and shoulders above the Giants. And I even make the case that the 49ers may not be anymore, potentially. Right there with they, you, they still, but like, I have a feeling Wink Barndale can scheme up pretty well against Brock Purdy. It's just the thought that I have. So I think the Giants can go on a run. They're in the conference to do it. The NFC is the place to do it. Obviously, to me, it depends on a few things happening. One, Evan Neal taking the big jump. Two, Daniel Jones taking a jump. And I know a lot of people here and that be like, you guys are haters. Daniel Jones doesn't need a jump. He's already amazing. There is another jump for Daniel Jones to take. That's the reality of the situation. You come here for objective analysis. We're going to give it to you. He can become a little bit better as a passer. He can get the ball out faster. He can get it on time. He can throw it more into space. He can throw the anticipation more. He can use the sidelines more. He can go outside the numbers. These are all things Nick and I have both discussed. It's not just me coming up with the top of my head. Nick feels this way too. We're not the we're not going to sugarcoat this for you on this, despite what you guys may say in the comment section at times. Uh, so if he takes that jump, if Neil takes that jump, and go ahead, Nick. I was just gonna say Daniel Jones would be the first quarter or first person to say this too. Like he exactly. still has development. He as well. he that himself. Yeah, exactly. That's the funny. That doesn't part mean he's not a good. That doesn't mean he's not a good quarterback or anything like that. He's just the progression that he can take to maximize the talent that he does possess, which we see every Sunday. Right. We, if you asked him about his season last year, Nick, do you know what he wouldn't tell you? He wouldn't say, I had shitty receivers. I had shitty O-line. I had this and this and this. He'd be like, there were times I needed to get the ball out faster. There were times I needed to do this or this or this. He's a self-scouter too. Like he's going to, he's not perfect. He knows that. None of these guys are perfect. Not even Mahomes. So it's like, there is still a level to take. And that's obviously to me, Nick, like you can put Neil in, you can put the edges in them taking a jump as well. But the real yeah. deal thing here is if Daniel Jones takes that jump, a lot of that other stuff won't matter as much because he'll be, he'll have, when your quarterback's playing at an elite level from a passing standpoint, it is very hard to beat you. Joe Burrow is a great example of that two years ago when he didn't have an offensive line. We have a question from Manila here that I that I like, and I think it also pertains to the conversation we were just having about the ceiling. Which rookie makes the biggest impact this season? And for me, I think that is Deontay Banks, just the, the first overall pick. I think you can make arguments for Hyatt. You can make arguments for Hawkins. You can make arguments for JMS. But Deontay Banks is going to be tasked to go up against some of the best receivers in the NFL as a first-round pick, and teams will be picking on him like they're going to be picking on Hawkins. And I think there's just so much potential within his game in terms of his stickiness in man coverage and his overall temperament. So for me, I'm going to go with Deontay Banks. And I think if he hits the ground running, look, I'm not saying this guy is going to be Sauce Gardner from last year. That That's an anomaly, right? Patrick Sertan, those are anomalous situations. But if he can be... A, a solid NFL starter as a rookie and Trey Hawkins, then you're looking at a secondary that is going to probably supersede what they did last year. And last year they, they played better than, than their talent would suggest a guy who was 
put their waivers on the bills and Nick McLeod and Fabian Moreau, who was just chilling on the free agent wire. So yeah, Deontay Banks would be my answer to that. What about you, Dan? That's a great question. I'm going to go with John Michael Schmitz. I think with Deontay Banks, as far as impact goes this season, right? Deontay Banks is going to have some bad games, I think, in his rookie year. Potentially. Though I have liked what I've seen in the preseason. He's been pretty sticky in coverage, despite obviously having a little bit of struggles earlier in camp, which is odd that he's doing better in the preseason. So I still think the ceiling play here is Deontay Banks. He can have the biggest impact. But as far as who will, I'm going to go with JMS because I think he's going to be a more consistent player. I think, in my opinion, I know we've discussed in the past, but it's a lot easier to hide at center than it is at corner. Like, if you're not, you know, your job is a lot more difficult, no offense, in my opinion, at corner on an island on the boundary than center when you have a guard to your left and a guard to your right, especially in pass pro. So I think overall it might look like JMS is the better, more consistent player, um, even if what banks gives them on a good day is worth more maybe than what JMS gives them consistently. And that's going to be up for whoever wants to debate what's more important. So I'll go with JMS just because I think a little bit more consistency will be there. Frank Salas asks, what are the chances they release Tyron and keep DeVito? I would say very slim. And I don't think they should do that. I think Tyrod Taylor is somebody that you can start and feel at least somewhat comfortable. Dan and I have discussed our issues with Tyrod. I think he does a terrible job protecting himself, but he's still been around the NFL, is very well-respected, knows the offense. DeVito is a fun story, a player who has earned a spot on the practice squad, and possibly his ceiling right now for me is he will be the number two quarterback next year because I don't envision a team trying to take Tommy DeVito and put him on their active roster. He'll pass through waivers, put him on the practice squad, and he'll stay there unless an injury happens, knock on wood. So that's kind of how I see the situation. Dan, what about you? Yeah, I think you nailed it, Nick. We discussed last night that – Tommy DeVito will have a chance to potentially compete for QB2 next year because I don't think the Giants will re-sign Tyrod Taylor. I think this is the end of the road. But as far as this year goes, from a cap standpoint, it doesn't really make much sense to release Taylor at this point. From a experience standpoint, as Nick said, it doesn't really make much sense. The Giants have gone all in for this year. Do they want to put in a rookie quarterback like DeVito or do they want to put in someone like Taylor if, you know, God forbid, Daniel Jones gets hurt, which would be really bad for the season anyway. But yeah. if they're in a playoff hunt and maybe they need like two to four games, let's say Jones is like a two to four week injury. They just need to grind out a couple wins, two of the next four. They're going to feel a lot more comfortable with someone like Taylor, who's been in the system for more, more than one year, who's actually played against NFL competition, who they have no qualms about having concerns with here, pick up this pass protection, shift the protection here. Oh no. Now there's a free blitzer because Tommy DeVito hasn't played a lot and he didn't, wasn't able to see that pre-snap. I know it looks really good in the preseason for DeVito. I understand your question, Frank. He definitely looks like he has some talent. Me and Nick discussed last night how his arm talent's a little, a lot better than we expected it to be. And it's been impressive, but that is also the preseason. I think it's very important to note that in the preseason, opposing defensive coordinators, not named Wink Martindale, are simply not running scheme. They're just putting a basic vanilla defense out there. So once that comes into the regular season, I think the Giants and us would feel more comfortable with Tyrod Taylor back there if something, God forbid, were to happen. Got a question from Mark Thompson as well. Do you think McLeod can be a part of the solution at nickel? I do, Mark. I don't think he's the first option, but I think just having a player who can kind of wear so many hats, similar to what Julian Love did last year, is is only going to lead to him finding the football field. Especially one of the things we love most about Nick McLeod is he was good in run support. I think he had like one or two missed tackles last season, and he's pretty physical for a guy who is not the thickest individual. So I think he could, but I think that's only if injuries kind of happen to the Giants or if one of the rookies implode and just 
get picked on, and that would be Trey Hawkins, and then Adore Jackson has to shift outside. And I still think Adore Jackson is going to take snaps outside. But as we say often on the podcast, and Wink Martindale has options, and I think McLeod is one of those options for the nickel spot. That's a good point, Nick, because like we were talking about before, that is one of my bigger concerns. If Adore Jackson isn't playing the slot, who is going to be? Is it Darnay Holmes who struggled? Is it Cordell Flott who's not coming along as fast as possible? So as, as I would like to see. So maybe McLeod is an option. I'm definitely intrigued to see how they use McLeod in general because they've kind of mixed him in with safety this preseason, which was unexpected, or this training camp, which was unexpected. And maybe they have a role for him in mind that we don't know about and they're waiting to kind of unveil so they don't have to put any tape on it for other teams time to find out but i do think he's definitely part of this team and part of this defense this year he was too good on tape last year not to be you know yeah right there and dan and i touched on this on the last podcast <clears throat> 566 do you think that shane will be aggressive in acquiring offensive line help we saw i think it was the rams trade for kevin dotson and i'm not 100 sure the compensation but if that was a later round pick I would be open to something like that, but I, I don't know if, if Joe Shane right now, he only has six picks. They're not going to get a comp pick from the last year's cycle. So I don't know if Joe Shane wants to part ways with those, with those um, future assets, especially after we were seeing how he's hit on these day three picks. I mean, think about some of the day three picks over the last two years. If you just look at Daniel Bellinger, if you look at Trey Hawkins and Jordan Riley, I know it's a little bit premature. Dane Belton, I mean, there's there's solid players that the Giants have got on these really low cost contracts in day three. But if uh, I'm sure they'll explore it is what I'll say. I'm sure they'll explore it. Yeah, I think Nick nailed that one. And I want to shout out Chase. He's the first person to send us a super chat, which is awesome. It's our first ever super chat. So thank you, Chase, for donating to us. And thank you, Sean Smith. Nick, do you have that uh, Sean Smith comment up? Because he has a question and he also donated to the page as well. Thank so you, Sean. That up. Thank you. Sean, for sure. So Sean asks Nick in game like yesterday's other than looking to see who makes the team on the back end. Is it what I assume he means? Is Dable looking for anything schematically? Good question. What are your thoughts on that, Nick? I think they're always evaluating and they're going to see the New York Jets. And I, I don't have the week in front of me, but sometime earlier in the season. So from a from an oppose opponent standpoint, yeah, maybe a little bit. And I think they're always trying new and unique things. Like we talked about third and short, how they did the end around to Khalil Pimpleton. I'm sure they probably talked about, hey, if we get this defensive look, the Jets are an even right. front team where who else is an even front team predominantly? I know there's a lot of um, multitude to uh, how Defensive coordinators employ defenses, but the Cowboys are also an even front team. 49ers are also an even front team. If they are shooting their ends inside, you can get that MNL line of scrimmage to take a, a narrow angle towards the quarterback a lot. Maybe you can sneak that end around around his ass, right? So maybe they're looking at it from that standpoint. So I would say a little bit. I think they always are, Sean, but I think yesterday was more about getting out of there healthy and, and just kind of evaluating, reassessing, and then getting ready for week one. It definitely felt like what you just said at the end there, Nick, was true. They were really just trying to get out of that game fast and healthy toward the end because, unfortunately, they got a lot of injuries early on, and that was definitely, I think, impacted how they wanted to play that game because you don't want to cut. The, the key thing in preseason is no injuries. Nothing else really matters in my mind and in their mind, too, obviously, given on how they played these guys. But there are some things to look at. Like, the Giants ran more scheme this preseason on offense than I've ever really seen from a Giants team in my lifetime covering this team. That first game, or that first Daniel Jones drive, against the yeah. Panthers, like there was a lot of scheme on that drive. It was the least vanilla for, I mean, it's not, it's going to be more in the regular season, obviously, but for a preseason game, it was surprising how much scheme they ran there and kind of the different things they did pre-snap. But one thing I would say, Nick, uh, go ahead first. 
I was just going to say that drive, I think was, this is week one. This is what we're doing. This is our offense. We're not holding anything back just for when Daniel Jones is out there. This is our opening script. Like they went through, this is what we're going to do during the regular season against this opponent who likes to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, you nailed it. And that's something you don't always see in the preseason. But one thing I would say about something that they might be able to carry over from last night's game. And again, thank you, Sean. Shout out is like seeing a rep like the one we talked about earlier, Hyatt against Sauce Gardner. When they see that on film, they may now go into that Jets game. The Giants have later the season be like, we can run something that we may have not felt confident running against the Jets starters before this because we saw it on tape we saw Hyatt's ability to get out into space there and to kind of create that separation at the top of his route that may be something that they look back on and say now we can work that into our game plan when otherwise they might not have because going into it blindly let's say the Giants didn't play the Jets in the preseason they played some other team you go in blindly and you might be like eh we run this and it's against Sauce Garner and it's not going to go it's not going to go the way we hoped or it's not going to go the way we planned so we don't even want to try it so now that's the one thing I think you can start to maybe see carry over the Giants have a three-level read personnel that consists of Jalen Hyatt as the clear out, Darren Waller running the corner route, and then Saquon Barkley in the flat. Think about the amount of explosiveness that's on that. The Giants are going to run plays like that. Just a simple sale concept with move the pocket, you roll Daniel Jones out, and now you need to account for Daniel Jones. If he doesn't like what he sees from Darren Waller or Saquon Barkley, Saquon Barkley can turn into a blocker, and Daniel Jones can pick up like six, seven, or eight yards with his legs. That's one of the great things about having someone as mobile as Daniel Jones. And one other thing about that, I think he did last year such a better job judging how he was going to use his legs and getting down and picking the points yes. to when he's going to run along horizontal, the line of scrimmage and keep his eyes downfield. And when he's going to take what the defense is giving him. You're completely right about that. And I think that's really one of the biggest differences for Daniel Jones is game last season. In addition to what we've discussed in the past, his jump from a pocket manipulation standpoint, and that kind of goes into that as well. Just makes such a big difference. All right, Nick, we have time for one more question. Do you want to handle it yeah, here? Well, or maybe yeah, I want to answer we'll this do. one first and we'll do one more after this. Mark, an even front team is when the three technique, that's the player who aligns on the outside shoulder of the guard. He is going to be to the to the um, strong side typically. And when, when I was saying even front, I was implying a four down front team. Like the Giants are an odd front team. Their base defense there's five guys on the line of scrimmage, but all three of their big beefy dudes are inside the tackles. So you have, yeah. you know, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and whoever else, they're going to be inside the tackles. And if you're two edges outside the tackles, all of the gaps are going to be accounted for. That's why you never really see a lot of teams run inside against the Giants. It's just not really successful. They have to. Last year, they ran a lot of power gap because the Giants just sucked at defending that. This year with Bobby O'Karake there and Micah McFadden, who I think is pretty solid in the tackle box. I think they'll be able to fit that run. Uh, we'll have to wait and see though, but that's when an even front team is four down linemen, three techniques, strong side. Yeah. I mean, the thing about it in like the nineties terms or in Madden terms, it's like a four, three versus a three, four. It doesn't really apply as much in today's NFL because so many teams are just not putting linebackers on the field and they're just putting a lot of nickel and, and sub package type stuff. But it's the idea of how many down linemen are, if it's even number or if it's an odd number. Exactly. So now we have this last question. From Tyler, how do you expect Great. the defensive line percentage of snaps between Dex, Leo, Ashawn, Nacho, Riley to be distributed? I'm not necessarily factoring Riley into this yet. I think the base personnel is going to be Dex, Leo, and Ashawn. I think you're going to see them get spelled throughout the game. And maybe Riley will be in that, that secondary unit 
especially when the Giants run like nickel and you'll have Nacho and maybe Riley out there. But I also think since you have Dex, Leo, and Ashawn, they're not all going to be out there at the same time. That's only in base personnel. And nickel, it's just going to be Dex and Leo. So maybe you're going to see the second unit consist when it is nickel personnel, Nacho and Ashawn, to give Dex and Leo a break. I do wonder how many snaps Jordan Riley is going to receive. And I think it's interesting. I talked about this with Patricia Trana on, on Locked on Giants because he doesn't add special teams upside in terms of Gunner and things of that nature. And the Giants are very deep on the defensive line. How exactly are you going to utilize his skill set, Jordan Riley? Because you don't want to try to put him through waivers. He's going to get claimed and you're going to lose him. And I don't think anybody wants to see that. But the Giants are deep at interior defensive line. I still think he's going to make this team. But I think they're going to have to get creative on how exactly they use. They'll have them like as field goal block, pump block, and maybe stuff like that a little bit, but that's not the gunner spots. And those are the important spots in terms of special teams. So I do think it's interesting what his role exactly will be come week one. He probably won't dress. That's what I think. I think he'll make the 53 and then he'll be one of the players who doesn't dress unless an injury happens to Dex, Leo, Ashawn, or Nacho. I was just going to say that, Nick. That's my guess, and I think it's very likely. He's just the player who doesn't dress on a week-to-week basis. So I wouldn't factor him into the percentage, but I will say this. Part of what made that Dexter Lawrence breakout season last year so incredible was just how many snaps he played. The snap percentage he played was absurd for an interior guy. And obviously, Leo dealt with the injury. wasn't himself. But what Dexter Lawrence did last year is not sustainable. It's just simply not for someone who's 330 pounds. The Giants know that. That's why they went out and got Ashawn Robinson, despite having Dex and Leo under contract. For Think of how much money is being paid out from a cap standpoint to the interior guys this year, Nick. Between Leo's 33, whatever it is, Whatever, you know, Dex, I mean, it's a small cap hit for year one. Then what they gave Ashawn, which is over one year, so it's all on year one. And even Nacho, like, that's a lot of cap space allocated to the interior line. The reason they signed Ashawn and Nacho was to spell those guys. I think it'll probably be, um, you know, Dexter Lawrence's snapshot, I think, will drop by 15% this year, to be honest. It was just, I think it was, what, 84% last year? I mean, someone Same. in the chat probably knows this, but I think it was 84. And I don't think that that top 65 to 70 this year, Leo, I would put in that same range. And then the rest of those snaps, I think will be between Aishan and Nacho. But like Nick says, like the way the Giants run their base, it's those wide nine guys on the edge. That's going to be Kayvon and, and, and Aziz Ojolari. And there's three of those guys on the interior. So really Aishan is going to probably play just as much as these two guys, despite obviously, you know, having a little bit of a slower training camp with the injury. And that type of alignment too, what does it do? All three of those interior offensive linemen have to take all three of those guys in base personnel, creating one-on-one matchups for Kayvon and Aziz Ojolari against five-man protections. And it's great against run. It's great against zone rushing teams. It's one of the reasons, like, the Giants were pretty damn good against zone rushing teams last year. They shut Derrick Henry down. Yes. Like, Kenneth Walker, I think he had a touchdown, but, like, he was he was bottled up as well. It's just those power gap concepts. And now finally the giants have a competent linebacker who can fit that. And I, I think they have two safeties who can also be the alley defenders against uh, those r- rushing concepts as well. Jason Pinnock at the wait and see how he adjusts to being a full-time starter, but I, I remain high on him. And I think he's shown a lot through training camp and the little bit that he did play in the preseason. And McKinney fits the run very well. Of course. Yeah. McKinney does. Yep. Yeah. That dates back to his time and his tape at Alabama as well. All right, that's all the time we have for on today's Big Blue Banter Live. We're going to be doing these weekly, probably from this point on at this point. We haven't decided yet what night to do because obviously we're doing the podcast in season to uh, review the tape for offense and defense. That comes early in the week. So we'll see really what happens with that, Nick. Um, we'll, we'll try, And for those of you listening, I should be speaking to the audience, not Nick. Um, we'll figure that out off pod as well. But thank you so much for tuning into this one. It was awesome to see some of you guys in there. I really do appreciate you guys taking the time to support us. Join us, talk Giants with us, 
and everything else. Please hit like if you haven't already. I told you I wasn't going to spiel, so I got to keep that tight and concise. Just hit that like button. Subscribe if you haven't already. Have a good rest of your night, and we'll talk to you soon.